Dr. R.J. Rushduni, R.R. 130 A.W. 90th, Restitution to God, 8th Commandment, Leviticus, Love 5, verses 14-16. Our scripture is Leviticus 5, 14 through 16, Leviticus 6, 1 through 7, and Numbers 5, 5 to 10, restitution to God. First of all, Leviticus 5, 14 through 16. <clears throat> Leviticus 5, 14 through 16. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, If a soul commit a trespass and sin through ignorance in the holy things of the Lord, then he shall bring for his trespass unto the Lord a ram without blemish out of the flock. With thy estimation, by shekels of silver, after the shekel of the sanctuary for a trespass offering. And he shall make amends for the harm that he hath done in the holy things, and shall add the fifth part thereto, and give it unto the priest. And the priest shall make an atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering, and it shall be forgiven him. Then Leviticus 6, 1 through 7. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, If a soul sin and commit a trespass against the Lord, and lie unto his neighbor in that which was delivered him to keep or in fellowship, or in a thing taken away by violence, or hath deceived his neighbor, or have found that which was lost, and lieth concerning it, and sweareth falsely, in any of all these that a man doeth sinning therein, then it shall be, because he hath sinned and is guilty, and he shall that he shall restore that which he took violently away, or the thing which he hath deceitfully gotten, or that which was delivered him to keep, or the lost thing which he found. For all that about which he hath sworn falsely, he shall even restore it in the principle, and shall add the fifth part more thereto, and give it unto him to whom it appertaineth in the day of his trespass offering. And he shall bring his trespass offering unto the Lord, a ram without blemish out of the flock, with thy estimation for a trespass offering unto the priest. And the priest shall make an atonement for him before the Lord, and it shall be forgiven him for any thing of all that he hath done in trespassing therein. And finally, Numbers 5, 5 through 10. Numbers 5, 5 through 10. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, when a man or woman shall commit any sin that men commit to a trespass against the Lord, and that be person be guilty, then they shall confess, confess their sin which they have done, and he shall recompense his trespass with the principle thereof, and add unto it the fifth part thereof, and give it unto him against whom he hath trespassed. But if the man have no kinsman to recompense the trespass unto, let the trespass be recompensed unto the priest, unto the Lord, even to the priest, beside the ram of the atonement, whereby an atonement shall be made for him. And 
and every offering of all the holy things of the children of Israel, which they bring unto the priest, shall be his, and every man's hallowed thing shall be his. Whatsoever any man giveth the priest, it shall be his. Two or three months ago, we dealt with the laws of restitution in Scripture. We saw at that time that the basic kinds of penalties for crime in the Bible were capital punishment for capital offenses and for incorrigible criminals and delinquents and restitution. If a man stole a hundred dollars, he had to restore the hundred dollars plus another hundred, the exact amount he hoped to profit thereby. In certain cases, you recall, for example, where livestock was concerned, which had the possibility of increase above and over the increase of money, the restitution had to be the sheep or the ox that he stole plus a fourfold or a fivefold restitution. The laws that we read just now also deal with restitution. They are a kind of footnote to the basic laws of restitution that we dealt with earlier in Exodus 22, verses 1 through 14. They are a footnote, we might say, a minor addition, dealing with minor matters. And yet I think the very fact that these laws deal with minor problems is significant in what it says concerning the law. Let's analyze these three sets of laws. First of all, Leviticus 5, 14 through 16, deals with inadvertent errors concerning things belonging to God. Thus, a person who has been informed concerning the obligation to tithe and is a tither, and then makes a mistake in computing his tithe, and is off four or five percent because of an inadvertent error, brings, therefore, a trespass offering to God, plus the full amount wherein he was wrong, if he miscalculated, let us say, by $50 or, let's say, $100. He brings the $100 with a fifth added, or $20. Then, in Leviticus 6, 1 to 7. The reference again is to small offenses with respect to a neighbor. It speaks of violence, but the Hebrew clearly means not acts of violence in our sense of the word, but deceptive ways, small deceit, whereby another person property is either appropriated or destroyed. The reference is very clearly in the Hebrew to small things. Let's 
modern terms. Supposing you are in a friend's home and you are helping, this will apply to women, helping with the dishes, there is a party or some do, and you break a platter that is prized by the hostess. And you're very much embarrassed about it, and you slip it away, the chipped or broken platter, and go off, embarrassed. This is the kind of offense to which it applies. Or damaging a neighbor's tool when you are working with him. It refers thus to minor offenses. And again, the requirement is that a sin offering or a trespass offering be made to the Lord. There be a full restitution plus 20%. In Numbers 5, 5 to 10, the same offense with respect to one's neighbor is treated. Again, real offenses, but minor matters due to carelessness or error, and then compounded by being embarrassed and covering it up and going off, feeling a little bit uh, unhappy and embarrassed about the matter. In Numbers 5, 5 to 10, the point is made that in case by the time the person decides to make restitution for this, there is no one to whom he can make it. Perhaps the family is moved into another country. He no longer has their address. No way of reaching them. What does he then do? He still must make a trespass offering to the Lord, and then make the restitution to the priest or the pastor. In this case, the restitution becomes the property of the priest, the purpose of it being to protect his confession. In other words, the fact that he has made this restitution is not to be public knowledge. So this brings us to another facet with respect to these offenses. They are to the person. They do not go through a court, but it is a moral and a legal obligation. It is nobody else's business. Where there is a serious offense like genuine theft of considerable property, then it goes through the court. Restitution is ordered by the court. But these are little things. The law thus requires restitution, but it says these minor matters are between the Lord, the person, and the offended party. And therefore, the restitution, when it is made to the priest, is not public property by being entered into the temple records. Now, there are certain principles that appear in these three laws, which are important for us to realize. First of all, it stipulates that restitution has to be made because God requires it. It is a restitution of God's order. The slightest offense that any man commits is also an offense against God. Now in Exodus 22 verses 1 through 14, sacrifice 
is not required in those specific laws because it is assumed. That is, every offense is an offense against God. It is specifically cited here because its purpose is to remind us that the slightest breach of order is a breach of God's order. That God wants human society to move in terms of law. That the slightest infraction of that law is also an offense against him. And so God appears in every situation. The second point, of course, restitution plus 20%. We have seen previously the importance of restitution. Crime today, because it lacks restitution, is a profitable matter. It is interesting to see what criminals themselves have to say about crime today. The old saying, crime does not pay, is only true in a Christian order. Because then the thief pays 20, uh, 100% at a minimum of the value of that which he has stolen. But an English criminal whose Confessions in answer to questions by a couple of scholars have been published as The Courage of His Convictions, interesting title, was asked about the risks involved in his theft. And the fact that with his record of prison sentences for a variety of offenses, the next time he got caught for any offense, there was a likelihood of an eight-year prison term. His answer was, and I quote, I don't want to do eight years, no. But if I have to, and that's all there is to it, yes, if you're a criminal, what's the alternative to the risk of going to prison? Coal miners don't spend their time worrying about the risk they might get killed by a fall of the coal base either. Prison's an occupational risk, that's all. And one I'm quite prepared to take. I willingly gamble away a third of my life in prison so long as I can live the way I want for the other two-thirds. After all, it's my life, and that's how I feel about it. The alternative, the prospect of vegetating the rest of my life in a steady job, catching the 8.13 to work in the morning and the 5.50 back again at night, all for 10 or 15 quid a week. Now that really ter does terrify me, far more than the thought of a few years in the nick, unquote. Now he's very candid and he's very honest. After all, he's living very, very well. And he figures it's a cheap price to pay a third of his life in prison to live high the rest of the time. The principle of restitution removes all profit from crime. Now, the purpose of biblical law is to make restitution of God's order as well as to remove profit from crime. The Anglo-Saxons, and England carried on the Anglo-Saxon tradition, did believe in removing the profit from crime. 
But they applied their principle of punishing crime with incredible rigor. Every kind of theft in ancient Anglo-Saxon law was punishable with death if it was above the value of 12 pence. And those of you who have read about the kind of executions that prevailed in 18th century England and almost the Queen Victoria's reign have often read that this was a terrible indictment of the kind of Christian civilization they had. They did indeed hang people for stealing a loaf of bread, for stealing a cat, or stealing a pair of shoes. But this was not any part of Christian law. It was simply a survival in England of the old Anglo-Saxon pagan law. And the fallacy in that Anglo-Saxon law was that it was a case of overkill, was it not? There was no justice behind it. As a result, it didn't solve anything because it did not create a just social order. And thus it was always a failure. Hanging wholesale as they did did not alter the situation or instill in the public at large in England at any time that the Anglo-Saxon laws were put into force any sense of justice because the Anglo-Saxon law was itself injustice. It was a disproportionate penalty, which is not biblical. The purpose of the biblical law is to restore order, God's order. It is to institute justice, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, that is, there must be a proportion between the offense and the crime. That's the meaning of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Then another important aspect of this law is this simply. Restitution and little things make for better relations with regard to our neighbors. A very sizable amount of the offense between person and person is very small. The modern attitude is forgive and forget. To go back to our illustration of the platter, the modern hostess would, if she learned about it, say, oh, think nothing of it. Just forget about it. It's nothing. But it is something. And it may be a platter which she prizes a great deal. In fact, it may be one that is a particularly fine piece which has family associations and many things that make it very dear to her. The principle of restitution is the principle of justice. And so many of the frictions between people are precisely in the area of little things. And thus the biblical law requiring that in little things like this there be restitution plus 20% simply makes for better relations. It makes for better understanding between friend and friend. And there isn't this kind of thing rankling between people. It certainly makes people more careful, does it not? 
And although people say, oh, forgive and forget little things like that, they don't forget. I have known women who have been insistent when they've had some kind of affair in their home, a bridge club or something like that, and one of the guests has spoken a particular piece, all think nothing about it and have been effusive about the matter. And yet, according to their husbands, ten years later, they're still harping about the fact that Mrs. So-and-so broke that teapot or that dish. In other words, little things are important and a big factor in our everyday lives. And God's law governs little things as well as great things. And it establishes a principle of justice. Finally, we saw in Numbers 5, 5 to 10, the fact of confession to the priest when there was no one to whom restitution could be made. If the family next door had moved away and there was no knowledge of where they had moved to, so there was no way of, say, the man or the woman making restitution in this little thing to their neighbor, then it was made to the priest with confession. And it could not be publicized. It could not be even entered into the temple receipt. It became the private property of the priest for the reason that it was not to be publicized. Now, why confession in such a case? What we need to realize is the meaning of confession. True confession is restitution. But when a person has broken, to go back to the platter, a platter, they only make true confession when they make restitution. When we confess our sins to God, we have not truly confessed them if we have not made restitution. Restitution, therefore, is the basic confession. It is the heart of confession. It indicates integrity. It is not merely worth. It's a very simple thing, and very many people are quite good at it. To confess anything from a small sin to a major one, and then to demand that their husband or wife or their parents or their neighbor forgive them. like the man I once knew who admitted to adultery periodically and confessed it to his wife, usually when he was found out, and was quite happy because his wife was disinclined to forgive him. I've confessed, what more does she want? Now, of course, this is why confession in the modern world is such a silly and useless thing whether it's to a clergyman or whether it's to a psychiatrist. The meaning has been destroyed. Because true confession is restitution. And therefore, there is no confession cited to the neighbor because it is assumed that 
The confession there is the restitution. To the priest, it is cited because then he specifies to whom it was. But even then, the confession is inviolate in that in these little offenses, it is between God and the persons involved and none other. This means, therefore, when Mrs. Jones breaks Mrs. Smith's platter and makes restitution, she has fulfilled her obligation. And Mrs. Smith, then, has an obligation to keep that confession in violence, keep her mouth shut, in other words. These little things are governed by God's law. In order to make relations between man and man godly, and godly relations require restitution. Thus, these three laws are relatively minor matters dealing with very insignificant and trifling affairs. But most of life is made up of trifling affairs. And it is the greatness of God's life that provides the way between man and man and woman and woman of dealing with little offenses. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the glory of Thy body. We thank Thee that it provides us a way, a way of coping with ourselves and with one another and with all the problems with which life is filled. Give us grace, therefore, to walk day by day in terms of Thy law word, rejoicing in Thy grace, delighting in Thy providential care, working in Thee to restore godly order to every area of life. Bless us for this purpose in Jesus' name. Amen. Are there any questions now with respect to our lesson? Yes. A very good point. Yes, there is such a restitution required, and the law, as we saw some months ago, does require continual restoration of the earth. Man has an obligation to make restitution to the earth. And of course, this is one area where we have very signally sinned. One of the ironies of uh, the news lately is that there's a great deal about pollution, and we've had lawsuits entered in the past few days with regard to the oil pollution at Santa Barbara. Now, of course, any time there is pollution, it's bad. But the ironic thing is that that was a single incident, that the pollution up and down the Pacific coast by the city in their pouring of sewage into the ocean is tremendous. That oil seepage was a trifle compared to the continual pollution. But there's no hue and cry about that. 
And that has cost millions and billions of dollars in loss of fishing, in loss of the uh, kelp beds, and in a variety of other things. But we don't hear much about that because the offense there is of the state, of the government. And that's not a sin nowadays when the government commits it. Yes. How do you arrive at what? Oh, the limit of restitution. The law requires certain uh, things. For example, I've specified a hundred dollars. The hundred dollars stolen should be restored plus exactly the same amount, another hundred. Restitution at its most is fivefold. Thus, certain types of livestock, because of their value and their capacity to reproduce, because their hide has value, their meat has value, their reproductive ability gives value, have to be restored fivefold. Thus, if you steal the steal of calf, which has reproductive qualities and therefore is not not only represents itself but future wealth to the owner, you restore that calf plus five. Now that's the maximum fivefold. But there are categories of offenses, and this guides the extent of the restitution. Imprisonment was not a part of the biblical law. It was either a capital offense or it was a restitution. Yes. It is theft. Yes. It is theft. Exactly. Can normally be made. 
It is, in Old Testament law, a capital offense. In principle, it still remains that. So in a sense, he has forfeited any right. And his situation is now one where it's the grace of the wife which maintains the relationship. So he has no rights in the situation. Unless over a period of time he proved himself to be of a changed character. But uh, the idea that you could just say, I'm sorry, and it's wiped out, this is a modern myth. And it is exceedingly immoral, the modern idea of forgiveness and confession just entitling you to be forgiven and to wipe it out. Exactly. You put your finger on it. If you tell a person who's stolen a hundred dollars, oh, that's all right, forget about it, you are contributing to the offense. Because in terms of God's law, there's one answer to sin. It's either the death penalty or restitution. And you are then cooperating to destroy restitution, to destroy a basic aspect of all order. And you have no right to do that because then you have joined with a thief in sinning against God. Yes. No, we dealt with that offense some time ago. Now, the damage is deliberate. That's another thing. But you recall in the law where someone is hired and comes with his equipment and tools, the pay includes the damages. So that if he comes and helps his neighbor and his equipment is damaged in the process, he has no claim against his neighbor or against the man employing him for any damage to his tools because his hire includes uh, the cost of his equipment and any potential damage or depreciation. Similarly, the employer who is making tools available is producing something. The cost of the maintenance and replacement of his equipment is a part of the selling price of whatever he produces. So he cannot penalize the employee for any damage to the equipment unless that damage is intentional. But if it's the usual kind of wear and tear and the normal uh, breakage of an accidental sort, it's an entirely different matter. Thus, if someone is driving a car for a company and there are new tires on it and they blow out, he's not responsible. This is a part of the risk of operation, a part of your operating cost. But if he takes... If it is lack of training, yes. But if it is deliberate, if he flashes the tires, or if he abuses the equipment, 
deliberately. That's different. Yeah.
forgiveness can only be given when the last fulfilled. Exactly. Now, we are forgiven in Jesus Christ because the last fulfilled. That's the whole point of the cross. The death penalty has been enforced against us in the person of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we've been saved now. We're alive in Christ because we have been dead in Christ. Now, we must abide by the law and make restitution. As St. Paul said when he, he spoke in the seventh chapter of being dead to the law through Christ, but then in the eighth, he had been made alive. Why? That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, that we might now keep the law of God, and that we might make restitution. If you have forgiveness on any other terms than fulfillment of the law, you're destroying godly order. You're creating a sinful society. Just this week I heard from someone who's dealt with two of the top radio evangelists in the country, and both of them, when it comes to financial and other dealings, are crooked and as can be. And he's, in fact, trying to get money out of one now to him. And the man doesn't deny it, but the law is being what it is now, it's virtually impossible to collect. There's no feeling of any obligation on the part of either of these men. They're crooked. But they feel they're under grace, not under love. And this is why you have so many of your top so-called evangelical leaders as crooked as a pig's tail because they have no sense of love. Yes. the penalty, yes. In terms of the law, you've made restitution. If you have taken away a man's life, then your life is forfeit. With a civil law, not with God. Yes. In other words, restitution has reference to society and has reference to God. The murderer makes his restitution to society. He's taken a life, his life goes. But in relationship to God, it's another matter. He has to straighten that out with respect to God separately. Yes. No, the reference says ignorance is that he didn't intentionally, that had reference to the tithe. He didn't intentionally withhold a portion of the tithe, but we are, when we uh, do our books periodically, make mistakes in our figuring. Maybe we uh, find out at the end of the month we have uh, Twenty or thirty dollars less in the account than we thought, or uh, more on the account, because as we've been computing, doing our stuff, uh, we've just made an error. Now, similarly, a man has 
sitting down and he's computing, say, his time. And uh, so much out of this and so much out of that. And in those days, you see, the farmer was computing his child in terms of his income from wheat and his income from his cattle and his income from his fruit and so on. And very often, at that time, it was computed in terms of bushels and so on. And then later, he goes over his accounts and he realizes he's made an error. So the reference there is not to the fact that he was deliberately trying to cheat God, but it was an inadvertent thing. That's manslaughter, and there are lives that deal with manslaughter in the scripture. If there's negligence, then it is murder, even though his guilt is not intentional. Uh, he is actually not intentional. Well, our time is just about up. A little item in the paper of Tuesday of this week, which I think is a very interesting sign of the times. It's from Parker Tuskata from the Herald Examiner, Tuesday, February 3, 1970. The voters of Carthay voted for 15 new municipal councilors Sunday, and the vote kept coming and coming and coming. The list of candidates, headed by Etienne Gribaldi, a list including socialist, radical socialist, and independent candidates, got a majority. The French government prefects now will have to decide on the next move. When the counting was finished, the election judges counted 9,647 ballots. And there are only 4,303 registered voters on the town's voting list. In addition, 401 absentees were asked to vote by mail. The postman brought in 892 absentee ballots. Well, this is happening not only in Corsica, but more often than most people realize in a good many precincts of the United States. And, of course, this is the kind of thing that happens when there is no question in the people. And there's nothing you can do to prevent this sort of changing the people. As long as you have a population of sinners, Make no difference whether you have a democracy, a republic, a monarchy, a dictatorship, or what you were. You're going to have corruption. Out of the heart of man. And if the heart of man be polluted, then he's going to bring forth fruit in conformity. As our Lord said, you don't take faith from sickness. And today, We've got a good crop of thistles in every country in the world, and we're getting thistles as a result. Our time is up. Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by ChristRules.com.